Hey guys, what's going on? It's Corey here from Lean Green Dad Radio. I have to let you know about the Lean Green Meal Plan. For more information, head over to leangreenmealplan.com. We've got five quick and easy plant-based dinners that'll be sent straight to your inbox every single week. I'm so excited to have it. We just launched and we have over 200 members that are getting their dinners taken care of. 15 minutes or less, that's all you need for a healthy plant-based dinner, no matter where you're at on your plant-based journey. I hope you'll come join me for free. You can get your free seven-day trial starting now. So head over to leangreenmealplan.com for more information. And now, let's start the show. I'm a lean green eating machine. I'm as healthy as can be. I'm a lean green eating machine. Eat my greens and get enough sleep. When I eat my greens and get enough rest, it's amazing how good I feel. Just try it once to see what I mean. One week will seal the deal. What's up, people? Welcome to Lean Green Dad Radio and the Lean Green Dad you know, podcast where we have a lot of different special people come on, but these two guys, these two guys right here are two of my favorite people in the world. I'm serious. They are. This is Robbie and Cyrus, okay? And if you don't know who they are, they're from Mastering Diabetes. They are here on the show with me to talk about this thing, okay? Their book, Mastering Diabetes. But Mastering Diabetes has been around for a long time. We're going to tell you more about it in a second. How you doing, Robbie? How you doing, man? It's great to be here. Super excited to be talking to you today. You too. You too. What's up, Cyrus? Haven't seen you in a bit, but it's good to see you again. Corey, I, I just, I love hanging out with you online, man. I freaking love it. I'm so glad to be here right now. Here we are. Here we are. So listen, you guys already heard about the intro. All right. You know who these guys are. The bottom line is it comes down to this. Okay. We have two gentlemen here. One who has a doctorate in nutritional biochemistry. That's Cyrus. Okay. And the other that has a master's in public health. That's Robbie. Robbie helped launch the Forks Over Knives Nation, right? They both are helping out in that community every now and then. Cyrus is very actively involved in Forks Over Knives and their success. And so to ask them, you know, why a plant-based diet in general is the way we should go would be a waste of time, all right? We're not doing surface level stuff here, guys. We're going to get right to the nitty gritty, the stuff that you need to know. Because the truth is, like, here I am, all this energy, and I'm excited and hyped and all this. This is who I am. I'm always like this. But the information that we're going to share right now, just some of this information in the next 45 minutes or so, could save your life or a friend's life, all right? So that's where, oh, the tone changes and we get real serious because there's some small things that you can do that can literally save your life, all right? And these guys know more than anyone else. They experience it firsthand. They're both type 1 diabetics. They've been that way for about 20 years on average, Robbie, a little bit more, right? But let's, let's get to it. So I don't know who wants to answer this first, so I'm going to throw it out there. But page 65 of the book starts with a chapter that is called All Fat is Not Created Equal. Ooh. Why? Why? Talk to me about that. What is the difference? You know, you hear saturated fat. You hear, oh, this kind of fat, all oh, this different kind. Of... What fat is good fat, bad fat? Is there such a thing? Mm-hmm. Who wants okay. it? I'll take it. I'll take it, Corey. Okay. So the, tr- the truth is, yes, there are many different types of fat. And when we talk about different types of fat, we're going to talk about them from like a chemical perspective, okay? People like to put the labels of good fat, bad fat, healthy fat, unhealthy fat on specific chemical substances. But in the actual chemistry world and biochemistry world, there's no such thing as good and bad. Mm-hmm. It's either saturated or unsaturated. Uh, and they, they, there's like a, there's a different 
way of referring to things, okay? So there are, I want you to think about fat as basically being, there's three types of fat. There are saturated fats, there are unsaturated fats, and there are trans fats, okay? Mm. So all three of these fats have a different chemical structure. And these fats are located in all different types of foods. And the question really becomes, okay, great. Where do I get specific types of fat? And are they beneficial to my body? Are they going to actually help me reverse disease processes? Or are they going to actually promote the development of diseases? Okay. Mm -hmm. So the first one that I'll start out with is trans fat. Okay. Now trans fat is a type of fat that is widely considered to be the most dangerous form of fat. And the reason I say that is because trans fat is, uh, it's actually a byproduct of a chemical manufacturing process. Hmm. Okay. So trans fats uh, originate from what's called hydrogenation. So it's a process by which food manufacturers take a fat that's solid at room temperature, excuse me, that's liquid at room temperature, and they quote unquote hydrogenate it. And then they turn it into a solid. And the reason they would want to do that is because number one, it increases the shelf life. And number two, it makes it spreadable so that you can spread it on a piece of toast and it has more consumer appeal. Okay. Mm. Now it turns out, okay, fine. You're taking a liquid, you're turning it into a solid. What's the big deal, Cyrus? Well, I'll tell you about this. There, uh, when you do that, you actually change the chemical structure in order for it to be stable uh, at room temperature. And when you do that, you actually are, are, are creating a substance that has now become detrimental to your cardiovascular health. Mm-hmm. Okay. Now, in addition to the fact that you can do, you can create trans fats from hydrogenation, you can also find trans fats naturally occurring in the animal world. And these trans fatty acids actually occur in very small quantities, but they are present in beef, in pork, in lamb, in butter, and in milk. Okay. So they're there. You don't really find them in fruits and vegetables and you don't find them in plant-based fats or sorry, plant-based foods, um, but they are there in the, in the animal world. Okay. So uh, trans fats have been associated with an increase in LDL concentration, which is not good because that increases your risk for a cardiac event in the future. Yep. Okay. And they have been implicated in the evidence-based research to actually cause atherosclerosis. And that's not a good thing. So that's why many food manufacturers have now been told that, uh, you know, you cannot Sorry, many consumers have been told not to consume foods that contain partially hydrogenated vegetable oils. So if you see that code word on the back of a nutrition facts label that says partially hydrogenated canola oil, partially hydrogenated uh, cottonseed oil, you name it, don't touch that stuff because that is code for this product contains trans fats. Mm. Okay? Yep. So that's the first type of fat. The second type of fat are called saturated fatty acids. Yep. Now, saturated fatty acids are actually naturally occurring fatty acids that are found in all whole foods, but they're mainly found in meat, in poultry, in fish, in shellfish, in dairy products. Mm-hmm. Okay? And these dairy products include butter, cheese, milk, yogurt, sour cream, you name it. Okay? Yep. Um, but they're also found in plant foods, including vegetable oils and coconut oil and palm oil and palm kernel oil, as well as cocoa butter, avocados, nuts, and seeds. Okay. okay. So what's the big deal with saturated fatty acids? Are they good? Are they bad? What do they do? Okay. The reason they're called saturated in the first place is because they are a, it's a linear, what's called a linear hydrocarbon molecule. Okay. So it's literally a chain of carbons that is usually 16, sometimes 18 carbons long. And the reason it's called saturated is because the carbon molecules have hydrogen that are located all around it. So it's basically, you can think of it as basically being a necklace that has a bunch of parking spaces all around the necklace 
for hydrogens to live, okay? So when those parking spaces are all filled with hydrogens, then you have a linear chain that basically has these hydrogens all around it. And when, when it has that structure, it's referred to as a uh, saturated fatty acid. Now, okay. uh, saturated fatty acids are actually problematic for a number of reasons because saturated fat has been shown in the evidence-based research. There's a lot of controversy about this. But if you actually go into the evidence-based research and you read it, you will find that um, from randomized control trials and meta-analyses of randomized control trials, which are considered the highest quality research, that the higher your saturated fat content, the higher your LDL concentration. Very similar to, uh, to trans fats that we talked about earlier. Okay? Mm. So saturated fat negatively impairs or negatively affects your cardiovascular health. In addition to that, there's a wide body of evidence that shows that when you consume saturated fat, saturated fat actually makes you more insulin resistant. And the reason why that's important is because our entire foundation, our entire message is built upon the idea that insulin resistance is the condition that causes high blood glucose. And when you become more insulin resistant, your risk for the development of pre-diabetes, type 2 diabetes, and gestational diabetes goes up. In addition to that, if you're living with type one, like Robbie and myself, and you have insulin resistance because you're eating a diet that's high in saturated fat, your blood glucose control becomes very difficult, yep. okay? So the idea here is if you can limit your intake of saturated fat, then you can actually become more insulin sensitive and it happens very quickly. And by doing that, your blood glucose control becomes much, much easier. And I want everyone to notice, like not once did he talk about sugar. Okay, we're not talking about sugar like everybody always talks about right away. Oh, you need to drink orange juice if this is happening. Yes, of course. Okay, we, we understand in certain situations, Absolutely. like emergency situations, that's a little bit of a different story. But guys, this is not, um, I'm talking about type 2 diabetes, right? A, yep. Or adult onset, whatever you want to call it, um, is not brought on by sugar. It would be accurate to say that, Yes. Okay, so let's put it this way. Saturated fat is the number one uh, dietary cause of insulin resistance, no question. Yeah. On the totem pole of things that cause insulin resistance, sugar, which is referred to as refined table sugar or, or high fructose corn syrup, is on the spectrum, but it's really low. Yeah. It's really We're just low. having the wrong conversation here. Exactly. We're focusing folks. on something that's like a very low priority, and we're, making, we're trying to make it seem like it's a much bigger priority. Okay. Just like with protein in a plant-based diet, it's the same thing. We're focusing on the wrong thing here. We need to redirect the conversation. Exactly like, right. I first I discovered this back in, sorry, go ahead. No, it's okay. We talked about trans. We talked about saturated. Did we talk about unsaturated? We haven't hit unsaturated fat. Okay. okay. I, want, I want to hear from Robbie though. He's just sitting there looking pretty and I really want to give him a chance to talk. No, no this is Cyrus's wheelhouse. He's, he's talking about unsaturated fat. I got you. Go I got you next. Hit me up with unsaturated <laughs> and I'm coming to you next. And I'm going to, I got two questions for you, that, but you're going to handle them like a champ. All right, let's go. Cyrus, okay. talking about unsaturated. I'm well, actually, unsaturated. Let me pause for a second here. If you want to hear from me, Corey, there's always a few things I like to deliver, okay? Mm -hmm. Deliver. Let, let me just hammer home this, this point about sugar, yeah. okay? Let me be very clear. We are not advocating that people eat processed sugar in any way, shape, or form, okay? We encourage people to eat whole foods that contains naturally occurring things like glucose and sucrose and fructose, okay? But when you look at the research and you look at studies where human beings were actually fed processed high sugar diets, whether you're looking at Walter Kempner's work in the 1950s on the rice fruit diet, where people lost weight, people lowered their insulin needs, people got off of insulin, people reversed diabetes. 
eating a diet of literally white rice, fruit, fruit juice, and sugar, okay? So that happened. And then you go to 1971, Dr. Brunzel, New England Journal of Medicine. He does a study where he has 22 subjects, all right? 13 of them living with prediabetes, and he compares a weight-maintaining control diet, 40% fat, to a weight-maintaining low-fat diet that's literally 0% calories from fat. He puts people on a liquid sugar diet, 85% of calories coming from sugar, 15% of calories coming from protein powder, zero fat. That's the only way you can have a zero-fat diet is if you make it processed because there's fat in all whole foods, which Cyrus will touch on in a minute here. So what happens when he feeds these, these patients these two different diets? When he feeds them the sugar diet, he sees an 8% drop in their fasting blood glucose in all everybody across the board, then a 9.6% drop in the pre-diabetes patients. Their fasting blood glucose actually went down on the sugar water diet. But more importantly, he did a paired oral glucose tolerance test where he measured their insulin levels and their blood glucose levels while doing a 75 gram carbohydrate challenge. Mm. Every single step of the way, over a three hour period, their insulin levels were lower and their blood glucose levels were lower on the sugar water diet. That's Crazy. the exact opposite of what you would expect. Sugar is not the problem. It's the environment in which it's consumed. Is it a low fat environment or is it a high fat environment? So that's just part of our method. Then you put it all together and you're okay, wait a minute. What if I had naturally occurring whole foods where the glucose and the fructose is packaged with fiber and vitamins and minerals and phytochemicals? What do you get then? You get an even more amazing result. So I just wanted it. to let you know that. No, it's perfect. And I'm going to give you guys a plug every now and then. So I hope it doesn't, uh, I hope it doesn't bother you, but listen, guys, if you're tuning into this show and you're just watching this, um, on a video, then great. I just want to tell you what we're talking about. This is mastering diabetes. This is the new book that these two guys put together. Okay. We're just touching on a couple things that, uh, the majority of people kind of talk about, but, uh, it's a little bit of a deeper dive. So including that I want to keep going into the types of fats, because again, like it says, all fat is not created equal. Guys, we've already talked about trans fat saturated. Hit me up with unsaturated and, and why that one might be better or not. Okay, perfect. Third type of uh, fatty acid is called an unsaturated fatty acid. Now, we talked earlier about the fact that a saturated fatty acid is a linear chain mm -hmm. of carbon molecules surrounded by hydrogen molecules, okay? What makes an unsaturated fatty acid different is that it's not a linear chain anymore. It's a, it's a chain that's been bent. And the reason that it's been bent is because there's a carbon-carbon double bond somewhere in the middle of that unsaturated fatty acid. There could be one carbon-carbon double bond, there could be two carbon-carbon double bonds. And as a result of that, every time there's a carbon-carbon double bond, the fatty acid kinks, okay? And it, chain, it, it, it becomes non-linear. Now, why the heck is that important? Well, the reason that that's important is because unsaturated fatty acids are treated differently in tissues than saturated fatty acids. Saturated fatty acids are mainly fuel. They're used as a, a storage mechanism for, that, that contains energy that can be used for, uh, that can be oxidized into ATP. But unsaturated fatty acids aren't a fuel. Unsaturated fatty acids are used inside of membranes. They're, 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 um, they're signaling molecules that actually allow cells to communicate uh, intracellularly in a, in a much more, what's the word I'm looking for? They, they facilitate communication um, with the outside environment, okay? So as a result of that, um, unsaturated fatty acids are important to have in your diet because they definitely do affect tissue health. Now, 
there's two types of unsaturated fatty acids. There's mono and polyunsaturated fatty acids. Okay, monounsaturated fatty acids are considered non-essential because your body can manufacture them by, by yeah, itself. Yeah. Polyunsaturated fatty acids are considered essential because you cannot manufacture polyunsaturated fatty acids. You have to eat them from the outside world. Hmm. Okay. Now, it turns out that um, mono and polyunsaturated fatty acids are a much, much better alternative than saturated fatty acids in your diet. No questions asked. There's plenty of evidence to demonstrate that people who eat a diet that is high in saturated fat, who then substitute saturated fat for unsaturated fat, and they just they, they decrease their saturated fat content, and they increase their unsaturated fat content, get numerous health improvements. Wow. Okay, numerous cardiovascular health improvements and numerous diabetes health improvements. There's one study in particular that, that Dr. Joel Kahn had talked about on a podcast, on the Joe Rogan podcast, when he was debating against Chris Kresser. So um, that, awkward. That, I felt so bad when I was watching it. I was like, ah, oh, this hurts. But yeah. they both, they're both so passionate. And then Joe Rogan's there like, you know, I, I just yeah. felt but, like but, the whole time watching it. I know, it's like anxiety ridden. But, but Joel did bring up, I think, a phenomenal, phenomenal point about um, one particular study that it was involving, it's, it's written by a guy named Richard Clark. It was published in the British Medical Journal. And he, Richard Clark and his colleagues did a study in which they, uh, they performed 395 metabolic ward experiments. Okay, imagine doing 395 experiments and then analyzing all 395 experiments together and writing one paper based off of that. Okay, mm -hmm. so it's a meta-analysis of these experiments. Um, and one of the things that they did here was they said, what happens if you replace 10% of the saturated fat in your diet with 10% unsaturated fat, okay? So you're just taking 10% of the calories that you eat and you're replacing saturated for unsaturated. And what they found is that by just doing that one change, people's total cholesterol dropped by 25 points, 25 milligrams per deciliter, okay? We're talking a tiny, tiny change that can make a big difference in your overall cholesterol, okay? And they also found that if you replace 10% of your calories from saturated fat and you substitute it with carbohydrate-rich foods instead, you can reduce your cholesterol by 20 points and you can reduce your LDL cholesterol by 15 points, okay? So what we're talking about here is making small changes that lead to a much bigger difference in your overall physiology. And the stuff actually is not that hard. I love it. Um, these, these are things that people aren't necessarily thinking about. Like, are they going to go in? It's hard for me to, because like, I feel like kind of sometimes, unless you've been affected um, pretty dramatically, like you're not, maybe you're not focusing on your LDL, right? Like Correct. you should. People are focusing on other things, right? And that's why transition to Robbie and what I want to talk about is, you know, the keto craze is going on. All right. Now, look, I don't want to turn this into a keto bashing session. All right. But I do think that it's important, guys, that you, not, not just you guys, but world, that what, for what ketosis actually is, because I feel like no one talks about it. It's not just a cute nickname. All right. That's the first thing. And then second, we're talking about short-term versus long-term health, right? And lifestyle. And, you know, Robbie, like, man, like you live your life with a smile on your face like that, you know, and I love it. And the food that's behind you, I know is the food that you actually eat, right? Yeah. But there's two, two parts to this, all right? So I want you to kind of talk about the keto thing from your point of view yeah. and just touch on that real quick. And then second, 
one of the most important things is there might be some people watching this right now that are just finding out that they are diabetic, right? Maybe it's a mom that has gestational diabetes. Maybe mm -hmm. it's a, uh, a person that is, you know, in college, uh, great athlete, uh, you know, plays soccer all the time, like someone on this show, and they get told that they have type one diabetes and they're just like, yeah, right, you're crazy, right? Or maybe it's someone that just has an unhealthy lifestyle. They don't really think about what they're putting in their body. They're stopping through with the fast food window diet and they get told they have type two diabetes. What is the first thing that you would do? So hit me up with keto, hit me up with what the first thing you would do. So Corey, I'm really glad you brought this up. This is the elephant in the room. This is the topic that has to be talked about whenever you have any conversation about any form of diabetes and insulin sensitivity. So we, we really deeply respect the keto community and keto experts. Like there is no bashing here. We yeah. spent chapter seven of our book, the largest chapter in the book, all about keto and digging deep into their science and making sure that we understood where they are coming from. What are they talking about? What research are they citing? And in the type one world, there's a guy named Dr. Bernstein, who is the leader of the very, very low carb world. And I cannot tell you how much we respect him and appreciate his work and what he's doing. If you know his history, like he actually advocated for teaching people how to self monitor their blood glucose. Like he did a lot of great things for us. But the point is, we want people to understand the consequences, like the long term consequences. And I'm, Cyrus is going to dig into that with a lot of the research. But the point we want to make is you get great short-term results. We acknowledge that. We see that. You cannot deny it. But the conversation we're trying to bring to the table with this book is all about insulin sensitivity. And you get to decide, do you want to achieve the same results, which you will get on our program? You still get the rapid weight loss. You still get amazing A1Cs. You still get you know, dramatic increase in energy. All the short-term benefits, you get those. But do you also want to be insulin sensitive at the same time? Do you want to have a body, a machine that is glucose tolerant? That is the important question. And when you start digging into that and you start reading our book and understanding the connection between insulin resistance and a laundry list of chronic disease, heart disease, fatty liver disease, high cholesterol, high blood pressure in the long term, then you start to say, hmm, wow, okay, maybe it's time that I explore this methodology. And I just want to say, people who are living with type 1 diabetes, we are the ultimate test subjects for insulin sensitivity. There is no better group of people to study, to use as an exploration of what foods actually make insulin work more efficiently and which, food, which foods do the exact opposite. And so Cyrus and I get to see this every day, every meal, insulin sensitivity, that literally the diabetes community doesn't believe at first. They're like, wait a minute, right. something's wrong here. Like, I actually don't believe that those guys just took five units of insulin and ate over 200 grams of carbohydrate. The low carb community is eating no more than 30 grams of total carbohydrate per day. We will eat more carbohydrate in one meal than they will eat an entire week mm -hmm. and still use less total insulin. Like if you wrap your head around the, the, the dramatic change, it's, it's really mind boggling. So it when it comes to keto, again, our message is, look, we, we see the results, we've read the research, we acknowledge it, it's great. Anybody who's doing keto, Corey, you gotta respect them. 
they're putting effort, a lot of effort. They are not eating junk food. They, they're in our camp. We have a lot more in common than we don't have in common. The biggest problem in this country is apathy, is the mm-hmm. people who are just not trying at all. Sure. So you got to acknowledge that and just begin having this conversation about, okay, do you want the same results while also being able to eat a wider range of nutrient-dense foods? That's another major concern in the keto world is the opportunity cost. You're now replacing nutrient-dense foods such as whole grains, beans, fruits, starchy vegetables, you're removing those nutrient-dense foods with less nutrient-dense foods, foods that have less phytochemicals. So that's the conversation we have. And I'll let Cyrus explain exactly what is ketosis and some of the the long-term challenges there. But your second question of somebody just gets diagnosed, where do you start? Like, honestly, you you read this book. You read the book. I mean, that's what we wrote. We wrote a book that we wish that we had when we were diagnosed. And it has all the science and it has the how-to component as well. So, you yeah. know, it's got the recipes, it has the meal plan, it has how to shop, all those details. So honestly, you, I think education is the, the step number one. You got to understand the why, and that's going to help you make the decisions and stick with it as you go through some, some road bumps. When you're coming out of keto, it's not, it's not going to be easy. Like no. you, you, you've, you've eaten your way into a severe state of insulin resistance. Mm-hmm. So in the book, we have slow, either a slow responder or you're a fast responder. If you've been doing keto for a while, you're going to be a slow responder. And so you've got to be able to weather the storm of getting out of that through knowledge, through education. And that's what the book will provide. Yeah. And, and you know, we'll, we'll go back to Cyrus here in a second. Like the, the whole lighthouse thing, right? The whole lighthouse analogy, guys. Like I have a friend that calls himself the lighthouse and he helps, he helps people with, you know, their personal issues and, and other things. But I want you to think of mastering, but diabetes guys, not, not just as another, another book to go grab. This is not what that, that this is. All right. This is a lighthouse in the middle of the ocean, not in the middle of the ocean on an Island or whatever. <laughs> that's guiding ships from the ocean very clearly to come to them. And, and if you're a boat in the middle of the ocean right now, and you're looking for a lighthouse, this is it. Especially if you're in the world of diabetes type one or type two. Okay. And, it's, it's extremely upsetting. I, I, I know who I'm giving this book to. Okay. I'm going to give this book to someone that needs it. And I know that's what you guys want me to do. But, um, this is a mom who's just completely and totally upset about her, you know, six-year-old that is just, just crashing. She has no idea what to do. And she's reaching out to everybody. This is it. This is the lighthouse. These guys right here. So agreed. And I would also say, um, the sea that you're referring to is in, in unfortunately, is just a sea of confusion. Yeah. If you go onto the internet these days, you go on Instagram, you go on YouTube, you go onto Google and you try and learn about diabetes. It is confusing. Yeah, it is. Because the American Diabetes Association is saying one thing and then the ketogenic community is saying one thing and then the plant-based community is saying another thing. And at a certain point, you're like, you know what? Even these quote unquote experts can't agree. Well, I'm going to do nothing. Yeah. And that's the sort of worst thing that you can do. Yeah. You want to touch on keto for a second? For sure. So ketosis is a term that human beings have given to a diet uh, that, can, that contains a significant quantity of fat, as fat is your principal fuel source. Okay. So it's a high fat, medium protein, very low carbohydrate diet. And when you're consuming a ketogenic diet, you can do it in a number of different ways. You can either be eating a significant amount of animal products, or you can be consuming a 100% plant-based 
diet, you know, this uh, contains avocados, nuts, seeds, coconut, olive oil, or you could do a hybrid of the two of those. Mm -hmm. it, it, um, for the purposes of this discussion, let's just say a ketogenic diet is a diet that contains approximately 70 to 80% of total calories as fat. And then approximately 15 to 20% of calories as um, protein. And then the remainder in carbohydrates. So we're talking a very small quantity of carbohydrates. Okay. Now the idea, the reason it's called a ketogenic diet is because when you consume a high fat diet like that, okay, your, uh, your liver cr uh, converts the fatty acids in your diet into a secondary fuel known as ketone bodies. So your liver basically says, okay, great. I see all these fatty acids that are coming in from the diet. It takes these, key, these uh, fatty acids. It converts them through a process of uh, ketone body synthesis into these ketone bodies. It then takes those ketone bodies and it shuttles them. It puts them back into your blood and they are mainly used by your brain because your brain cannot run off of fatty acids. It does not have the machinery and the enzymatic um, machinery to be able to run off of fatty acids. So your brain under normal circumstances operates off of glucose, okay, 99.999% of your waking life. But if you're eating a ketogenic diet, what you're forcing your brain to do is say, okay, I need a backup fuel because amino acids aren't going to work. Fatty acids aren't going to work. The only other option are ketones. So your liver says, okay, great. I'm going to make these ketones and I'm going to shuttle out to the brain. So the ketogenic community has discovered many things about a ketogenic diet. And this actually started way back in the you know, mid-1900s where they were originally creating ketogenic diets to treat kids with epilepsy. And the reason for this is because kids with epilepsy who are getting frequent epileptic seizures who transitioned to a fat-rich diet actually had a reduced incidence of seizures to a point where they could get their quality of life back. And that's really important because in a very isolated subset of patients, a ketogenic diet can make a dramatic difference. But since that time, Researchers have basically said, oh, okay, well, what else can a ketogenic diet do? Okay, what other diseases can a ketogenic diet help out with? And so they started experimenting. Said, what about diabetes? What about cancer? What about heart disease? And what they found is that when you transition to a ketogenic diet, one of the prominent characteristics that many people experience is rapid weight loss. So one of the first things that happens is when you start to eat a high-fat diet, you literally get less hungry. And there's a very complex signaling between your digestive system and your brain that makes it such that when you eat high fat diet, your brain basically just doesn't want to take in as much food. And so as a result of that, you eat less food, you actually naturally calorie restrict, you end up losing weight. And as a result of the weight loss, a number of other things start to come into play. Number one, reduced hemoglobin A1C. That's a marker of your average blood glucose. That's a good thing. Reduced fasting insulin, better blood glucose control, reduced total cholesterol, reduced triglycerides, reduce blood pressure. Okay. So all of these things start to uh, accumulate as a result of weight loss. And when that happens, six months down the road, you go back to your doctor and you say, Hey doc, take a look at this. And your doctor says, improved, 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 improved. Hey, whatever you're doing, just keep doing it. Yeah. This is great. Right. Yeah. So people who are eating ketogenic diets, just like Robbie was saying, we commend you for the effort that you're putting in because you're taking action, you're doing something and it's improving your health. So good stuff. The, the reason why we don't love ketogenic diets is because in the short term, ketogenic diets can promote a lot of improvements in biomarkers. But in the long term, they actually can cause a number of different metabolic problems. Okay? And the problems that they cause are, number one, first and foremost, 
insulin resistance. Okay, and people in the ketogenic community absolutely hate it when we say insulin resistance. So I'm gonna rephrase it. If you're in a ketogenic community, you don't like the, that statement, I will say a ketogenic diet causes glucose intolerance, mm. which is exactly what it does, which means that when you're eating a diet, it's high in total fat, especially saturated fat, your ability to metabolize glucose from carbohydrate-rich foods like fruits and vegetables and legumes and, and uh, whole grains, your ability to metabolize those, those glucose molecules goes way down. There's, there's, there's an there's a inverse relationship. More fat, less carbohydrate tolerance. Less fat, more carbohydrate tolerance. Okay? So, the last thing I'll say here about ketogenic diets is that um, they, uh, they can cause insulin resistance, and they do that very quickly. And that's not a good thing because the underlying cause of prediabetes and type 2 diabetes is insulin resistance. So it gets a little confusing because what I'm telling you is that it actually causes the condition that increases your risk for prediabetes and type 2 diabetes. But yet I told you earlier that your A1C goes down and your fasting glucose goes down and your fasting insulin goes down. So what the heck is going on? Right. Okay. So it turns out that when you're eating a high fat diet on a piece of paper, you are improving your biomarkers and that's a good thing. But the actual measurement of insulin sensitivity or insulin resistance is a test that you can take at your local Quest Diagnostics or LabCorp. And it's called an oral glucose tolerance test. And what you do is you go to the, you go to the testing facility, they give you a solution that is about 75 grams of glucose dissolved in water. And you drink that solution. And then they test your blood glucose over the course of the next two hours. And they test your insulin over the course of the next two hours. And what it's doing is it's basically measuring how high your glucose goes in response to that 75 gram glucose challenge and how high your insulin levels go over the course of the two hour period. Mm -hmm. If you're insulin sensitive, then your glucose is not going to go very high. It's going to go to like 130, 140, and then it's going to come right back down. Your insulin levels will also go up just a little bit and then they'll come right back down. Hmm. If you are insulin resistant, what will end up happening is that you'll drink that solution and your glucose will shoot up to 200, 250, 300, 400. And your insulin levels will also go very high because your pancreas is having to work really hard in order to try and metabolize those glucose molecules, okay? If you go into the research and you try and find what happens to people who eat a ketogenic diet when they take an oral glucose tolerance test, here's what you'll find. Nothing, okay? In the, in the world of ketogenic diets, they make, they make all these, uh, these claims about reversing diabetes, about improving A1C, and about, you know, technically, they, they literally say we, quote unquote, put diabetes into remission or we reverse diabetes. They're not reversing diabetes. They are dramatically reducing the carbohydrate load of your diet, which makes it look like you're reversing diabetes. You're getting the better diabetes biomarkers. But the disease process of insulin resistance still exists. And as long as you don't challenge your glucose metabolism, you will never see insulin resistance. And mm -hmm. that's why it's so important to understand that the numbers on a piece of paper don't tell the full story. Yeah, it's the truth. And it's, a, it's, it's not a short-term thing. This is not a short-term thing. This is a long-term, this, you know, it's just like guys, you talk about, you know, diets and, you know, diets are temporary and lifestyles are forever. We're trying to create a lifestyle so that if you do happen to eat, one of those things, it's not going to kill you, right? You can't, 
you can't stay keto forever. I mean, you, in my opinion, maybe, maybe you can. And if you are, you probably should. That should be your goal, right? Just stay keto forever. Right. Uh, but, you know, be ready to, to deal with what that means long term on your body. Absolutely. Anyways. Well, okay. So listen, I got five minutes left before I have to go be a dad. And uh, <laughs> I have shifts. I have shifts, right? With the kids home and the life that we have, like, it's just nuts. So, um, you know, school's out, but we're still doing educational stuff. It's like the, the TED Talks for kids are just like awesome. We learn something new like every day. So, oh, that's great. Awesome. I love it. I love it. We do TED Talks, and then we get out. We have a morning workout. I don't know if it, I haven't told you guys about this, but I should probably film them. Do you know what it's like to have five people, three of which are under 12, doing circuit training together on the back porch? That it's, sounds magical, actually. It's pretty that's wicked. Entertaining. We rotate. They don't know they're doing push day or pull day or leg day. They don't know. They just know that they got to do what dad says. And uh, there's always complaining, you know, but we always have fun. Like there's a trampoline circuit. There's, you know, dumbbell circuit. There's, you know, lunges. There's pistols, one leg pistols in the small baby chair. I even make my wife use the baby chair because it's so low to the ground. I'm like, come on, that's, this. that's that awesome. That sounds like a dream for Cyrus. Oh man. Yeah. I'm getting we so love, excited. We love it. We, we work out. And then after, after, uh, so that's every morning, you know, eight, Eight uh, eight thirty is workout time. So eight thirty to nine thirty, we do workout time, and sometimes we'll do a video inside or whatever. We'll do abs one day, or whatever. But then, um, you know, uh, then after I'm done with work at about five thirty, we we usually go out and swim because I mean because it's summer and it's, it's swimming time. So we we have our we don't have a pool at our house, but our neighbor has one. And he lets us crash all the time, so we just go in there and just crash into his pool. <laughs> I love it. That's what it's all about. Anyways, but I say all that because. I've got a jet and go be a dad, but um, guys, I want you to, I want you to share the resources. Obviously the book, you can get it anywhere books are found. I would definitely recommend going to masteringdiabetes.org. Uh, if you happen to go to .com, it'll redirect you. So don't worry about it. Nice. Uh, I'm glad you saw that. Yeah. But um, where else can they, can they get info and kind of dive into the world, Robbie? Like yeah. is the Facebook page the best to kind of like dip their toe in and stuff? So first off, I'll say when it comes to the book, grab it anywhere, but also pick up our audio book because we added some extra content in the beginning of each chapter. We read the book ourselves and it was really fun. So it's obviously also on Kindle and Nook. It's everywhere. But if you want to just go to the internet and you want to learn, the best thing to do is go to our website, go to masteringdiabetes.org.com, either one. In the upper right corner, take the insulin resistance quiz. There's a button that says like, am I a candidate? Take that quiz understand where you're at. You're going to get some emails, some recipes, some tips are going to follow suit there and just follow the instructions. That's the best place to go. Of course, we're on Instagram, we're on YouTube, we're on Facebook, all kinds of great information and recipes and inspiring testimonials being shared every day on those platforms. But really, I want people to, to really get the nitty gritty details around their health and what's happening for them. So take the quiz and get started there. Love it. All right, guys, make sure you go check them out. You know where to go. Follow yeah. months. You know, social, Corey, I gotta add else. one more thing. Gotta yeah, hit me up. We also have a podcast, and we're gonna get you on that podcast real soon. So no question. Like listening to podcasts, just type in "Mastering Diabetes" into any platform, Apple, Spotify. You'll find it and check out Corey soon uh, coming up. I love it. I love it. All right, guys, we'll see you soon. Thanks for being here, Corey. You're the man. Thanks so much, buddy. <laughs> I'm a lean green eating machine. I'm